Thank you for listening to The Real Deal with Damian Adams. This is Real Sports Talk for the Real Sports Fan. And I definitely appreciate all you Real Sports fans who are listening right now. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, please do me a huge favor and leave this podcast a five-star rating. That one, two, three, four, fifth, that five-star rating review will definitely be appreciated. If you're listening on any other platform, that could be iHeartRadio, Podomatic, Google Podcasts, wherever, please share from that platform so that your friends and family can find the podcast, listen to the podcast, love the podcast, subscribe, and then share with their friends and family. I'm trying to get this podcast to the highest levels of podcastivity, and I need your help to get there. It will be truly, truly appreciated. Got a big episode for you guys today. It's just me and you. Just me and you. Just me and you. Ooh. You heard the note right there. You heard the notes. Had to bring the singing back real quick. You heard the notes. But a big episode for you guys today. Very basketball heavy. little boxing in there, but a lot of basketball. We're going to talk about all the trades that went down this past week. We're going to talk about the 2003 NBA draft class and how it compares to others. Today is the 20th year anniversary of that draft. It's been 20 years since we saw all them dudes in those big old suits across the stage. So yes, we are getting old, ladies and gentlemen. And we're going to talk about that class compared to others. A little boxing, Edgar Berlanga and others boxed last week and we'll talk about that. We'll close the show talking about my top 10 power fours of all time. Big episode, let's get into it. So this first trade I'm going to talk about, the timing of it made me mad, right? Last week I did an episode of my pops for Father's Day. Got a lot of positive feedback on it. Thank you to everyone who took the time to listen to the podcast. And I truly appreciate it. It still kind of blows my mind a little bit that people wait for me to get behind this microphone and talk about sports and anticipate what I'm going to say. So I really do appreciate it. I do not take it for granted. And the fact that you listen to me and my dad and had feedback and were invested really means a lot. I do appreciate that. And we did the episode last week. And as soon as we got done, literally as soon as I posted the episode to the website I used to get it to distribute to all the podcast platforms, get a notification on my phone, Bradley Bill's been traded to the Phoenix Suns. I was so mad. I was like, dang, why couldn't this happen during the podcast? Because I'll get the notification on my phone. I would have saw it and we could have, you know, rapped about it in real time and it could have been on the episode. But now I got to talk about it now, you know, seven, eight days later, but it's cool. <laughs> it gave me time to think about it in more perspective. So let's get into the trade. In this trade, the Suns received Bradley Bill, Jordan Goodwin and Isaiah Todd. The Wizards received Chris Paul, which of course we know was short-lived. Landry Shamit, the number seven pick, which turned into Bilal Calabi, and also several pick swaps and second-round picks. So they got the 2024, 2026, and 2028 first-round pick swaps. Which I don't know if the 2024 one will be useful. It'll probably get flipped into a different year, uh, but. By the time 2028 comes around, the Suns might be really bad, so it might be very useful at that point. They also got six second-round picks, which you never know. You might hit on those. You know, Nikola Jokic was a second-round pick. You never know, right? And the Pacers were also involved in this one, and they received uh, Jarese Wallace or Jarese Walker, excuse me, and two second-round picks in this one. All right, so let's talk about this from the Wizards' perspective first. 
the Wizards, how do they get into this position is the question. Now, I know that they have a new GM and new president of basketball operations and all that good stuff. So this current upper management team that they have now wasn't the same team that gave Bradley Bill the five-year, $250 million contract. Good Lord, that's a lot of money. With a no-trade clause. Like, they gave him everything. Bradley Bill is the only player in the NBA to have a no-trade clause. Giannis ain't got one. Steph ain't got one. LeBron ain't got one. But Bradley Bill got a fully max deal with a no-trade clause. Like, how, Sway? How did the Wizards even think that was good or think that was positive or think that was a thing to do? You have to give a, get a big shout out to Bradley Bill and his team for negotiating that deal and getting a no-trade clause and keeping the no-trade clause. That was one of the reasons he ended up in Phoenix. Some of the other teams that were in position to get Bradley Bill wanted him to get rid of the no-trade clause. So just in case in the future they wanted to trade him, it wasn't as hard. But Bradley Bill was like, nah, I will do a temporary wave of my no-trade clause, but I'm going to keep it on the contract, which is great for him, very smart. I'm surprised more players don't ask for this in their deals, especially the ones that are better than Bradley Bill. Bradley Bill may be top 30 in NBA. Good player, very good player at times, but he's not great. You know, all-star in certain years. He got lucky one year and made All-NBA, which led to that big-time contract. But he's never been hired in third team. But he's the highest-paid player now on a team with Kevin Durant and Devin Booker. Bananas. Bananas. So the Wizards, like, we got to get rid of this contract. We'll take nothing back. And that's pretty much what they got. Chris Paul. They were able to flip Chris Paul, though, so... Shouldn't say nothing. We're able to flip Chris Paul, which we'll talk about that trade here in a little bit. So, for the Suns. The Suns have four players who you can argue may be the most talented foursome in the NBA. Right? When you talk about Bradley Bill, Kevin Durant, Devin Booker, and DeAndre Ayton. And it was reported today, or yesterday... That they're going to keep DeAndre Ayton. Now, personally, I think that they put the fillers out there and they were trying to see what they can get for DeAndre Ayton. And they didn't like the answers they got back. So then they try to make it seem like, oh, we wanted to keep him the whole time. We believe in him. And we want to move forward with this foursome. Sounds amazing. Now, the problem is, between those four contracts... That equals up to $161.6 million on a cap next year. The second apron, which I know a lot of basketball fans have heard about, is the third level of the salary cap, which will be estimated at $182 million for the Suns next year. They're going to pass that up because they had to fill out the rest of their roster. And when you pass up the second apron, it limits your team as far as being able to build it. So some of the rules that are set once you get past the second apron, which the NBA wanted to make it harder for teams just to be able to 
spend a bunch of money and stack their teams up. So for teams that get past the second apron, it's going to be very hard for them to make trades because they won't be able to move players unless it's equal money for money. You can't trade out two players for one or you have to make very direct trades. So it makes it hard to make trades because trades don't normally work that way. You can't sign mid-level exceptions. So the guys who would fit under that rule that maybe makes you know $10 million, $12 million, you can't sign those guys. So you got to get a lot of minimum wage players, right? And you can't sign buyout guys. So if you have somebody who come January, February, you know, they're a veteran on a bad team. They want to join a good team for a championship run. The Suns won't be able to sign them because they'll be past the second apron. So you better hope this foursome works out. Now, the problem is between those four guys, it may not be the most dependable bunch. Bradley Bill, the last three years, has played in a total of 150 games. 60, 40, and 50. Made it very easy for you to add it up for people like myself who aren't good at math. 150. Chris Paul, who we are worried about when it comes to injuries, played in a lot more games than that over the last three years. So you worry about Bradley Bill staying healthy. Kevin Durant, we know, since he tore his Achilles a few years back, hasn't been the same health-wise. And has averaged about 50 games per year since then. Or even less. So you're going to have a lot of games where it's Devin Booker, DeAndre Ayton, me, you, your mama, and your cousin too out there. Like they're going to be out there with some nobodies at times. They're going to be out there with people like, yo, like diehard NBA fans can be like, yo, who is that? Where he come from? Oh, he was in the G League? Oh, he was in China last year? Like they're going to have some people on their roster like that because they're going to be over the second apron. Not leaving Phoenix, right? I want to go to a couple of games. I always go to a Pelicans game each year. Now, I imagine these tickets are going to be more expensive to make up for all the money they're going to be spending because they're over the salary cap. So, if you're in Phoenix, be ready for those ticket prices. And I want to go see San Antonio as well. I want to see Victor Wimbiyama in person just to see how crazy it is to see somebody who's 7'5 who can do what he does. So, hopefully, the tickets for those games ain't too expensive, but we'll see. So it's going to be very interesting to see what happens with this team and how they move forward and how they're able to build this roster around these four guys. And plus the fit of Bradley Bill and Devin Booker and Kevin Durant can be, it seems to be overlap right there, right? Because... You have three guys who thrive in doing the same thing. Kevin Durant, Devin Booker, and Bradley Bill all are very good in the mid-range. Very good at pick and roll, getting to the mid-range, hitting their jumpers. But if you have a mid-range guy surrounded by a mid-range guy, surrounded by a mid-range guy, maybe one three-point shooter, DeAndre Ayton, even though he's a big dude, he also thrives best in the mid-range. That free throw line area is where he's best. Who gets to serve just that area? Now, of course, you can take turns, but you don't want to have your offense being my turn, your turn, my turn, your turn now. You don't want it to be that. So how does it work? It's going to take a few games, more than a few, to really get into a rhythm with this team. Frank Vogel's known for his defensive
coaching. This team doesn't have the best defensive players. So it's going to be very talented. There's going to be games where they look unstoppable. When all three of those guys are going, it's going to look crazy. But then you're going to have your games where those jumpers are off. Can you depend on your defense? Probably not. Come playoff time, when those jumpers are off somewhat. Can you depend on the squad's defense? Can you depend on the others who we don't know yet to come through for you? So I still don't think they're top of the West. They're not touching the Nuggets. And we're going to see what happens with the Golden State Warriors. Speaking of the Warriors, let's talk about that trade. So we mentioned earlier that the Wizards got Chris Paul and then flipped Chris Paul. They flipped him to the Warriors. In return for Chris Paul, they got Jordan Poole, Ryan Rollins, a 2030 first round pick, and a 2027 second round pick. So Jordan Poole, I made a video where I said, if life came at you fast was a person, it's Jordan Poole. My man went from last year being the darling of the NBA, one of the guys who was an integral part of a championship run, to getting a big time contract, to getting punched in the face, then the punch being leaked. So you saw him getting punched in the face and he got embarrassed both in practice and around the world. Had a okay season, subpar playoff run, and then gets shipped off to Washington. Now for Jordan Poole and the Wizards, it's interesting to see what they're doing because they're obviously rebuilding, but they're also trying to be exciting. You add Tyus Jones, which we'll talk about that trade as well. You add Jordan Poole. They're going to be drafting a lot of players. But you have your young pieces that you're trying to build around while also rebuilding. So they're trying to be watchable and sell tickets while also rebuilding. Which I get because you want to sell tickets. You want to make sure that you have a product worth watching while also building for the future. So I like what the Wizards are doing. For the Warriors, is very, very interesting. Chris Paul playing alongside Steph Curry, alongside Klay Thompson. We're assuming Draymond Green is going to be there as well. And you just wonder what they're going to do. I imagine Chris Paul is coming off the bench for the first time in his career, which is definitely going to be an adjustment for him. But at this point, at year 19, age 38, I imagine his ego won't be too big to accept that, especially going to a team that has won so many championships. And he know that he's not the best point guard. Steph Curry is better than him at this point. So he has to accept that. And for their closing lineups, if they go small and they go with a different version of the death lineup, it'll be Chris Paul, Steph, Klay Thompson, Andrew Wiggins, and Draymond. I just don't know how it works because Chris Paul plays a very different style than what the Warriors play. The Warriors are very running around, moving around, you gotta be in crazy good shape because they're constantly moving. And Chris Paul is more, okay, let's get into the offense, let's run this pick and roll, let me break it down and then I can find the open guy or I can do the open shot, whatever it is, but I orchestrate it. So how does that work? Now with the second unit, maybe you could just have a change of pace. Where first unit, Steph and Clay are running around doing their thing, then when Chris Paul comes in, it's a change of pace. And that could have a different look for the other team to look at, right? Where you're throwing them off a little bit because they're getting used to running around, being in this frantic pace, and then boom, as soon as 
the five minute mark of the first quarter comes, the pace changes. Which can add a, a good dynamic, so I like it from that standpoint. But it just lacks size. That's something that they needed for a long time. As much as I love Kevon Looney, you need size. And a lot of people thought they would have traded Jordan Poole for maybe a Kristaps Porzingis. But instead of getting a 7-3 in his prime big man, you got a 6-foot out of his prime little man. So this is going to be very, very interesting. I can't wait to see it, though. Like, the NBA offseason has me so excited, and we still haven't even gotten through free agency yet. So let's talk about the other big trade as the Celtics got Chris Stapps Porzingis, the number 25 pick and a first-round pick next year. The Grizzlies got Marcus Smart, and the Wizards got Tyus Jones, Danilo, Danilo, Danilo Gallinari, and Mike Muscala, right? So with the Celtics getting Chris S. Porzingis, I like that move. It was time for them to shake things up. It was time for them to shake things up, and they had this same core together for a while, for a long time, and... It got They got the max out of it, pretty much. You could argue that they should have won a championship maybe last year. But they got to the finals with this team. Several conference finals. And now it was time to like, okay, we've run the whole gamut with this team. Let's see what we can do with a different look. So I like having Chris Asperzingas because Al Horford, Al Horford's getting older. Robert Williams, Time Lord, spends too much time on the bench because he's hurt. So you're getting shot blocking and three-point shooting with Porzingis. Porzingis also hasn't been the healthiest during his career, but was healthy last year and played very well for the Wizards. So if he's healthy and he's defending the rim and he's hitting threes, he's providing spacing for Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown to do their thing, I like where this is going for the Celtics. For the Grizzlies, getting Marcus Smart. So Marcus Smart is the replacement for Dylan Brooks. And they have the same type of mentality, right? They're going to be very, very disruptive. They're going to talk a lot of smack. They're going to flop around. They're going to make it hectic for the other team. Now, what you're hoping is with Smart, you're going to get better shot selection than with Dylan Brooks. And you're hoping that during the playoffs, which he has shown to be a better playoff player than Dylan Brooks, that that's what's going to really affect the Grizzlies, right? I don't think it's that big of an upgrade. I think we saw last year Marcus Smart take a little bit of a downturn as far as his athleticism, his defense, and still is not the most efficient scorer. If you look at the stats for Dylan Brooks and Marcus Smart, they're very similar when it comes to efficiency. Now, of course, Marcus Smart gets more assists because he plays point guard more, but as far as their points, shooting percentage both three and field goal range, is pretty much identical. So I feel like you're not getting the biggest upgrade, or as big as the upgrade as people think you're getting with Marcus Smart. Now with the Wizards, Tyus Jones is a very good point guard, a starting quality point guard that just hasn't had that chance to start, or hasn't had that chance to start consistently because he's been behind John Morant. I was surprised the Grizzlies got rid of him because we know John Morant's missing the first 25 games. So I really think that that's going to be very interesting to see what they do there as Marcus Smart will probably play point and then move over to the two. I guess you have Desmond Bain play the three. That's a very small one, two, three right there for 
the Grizzlies. So we'll see how that works out. But I don't see them having much of an improvement. I don't see this taking them to the next level. But with the Celtics, if you get the best of Porzingis, that may be the difference in a series against Miami or a series against who are some of the other the Bucks or whoever else comes out of the East next year. Chris that's Porzingis could be that difference. Uh, we had another trade go down that was today as we had my guy John Collins from the Atlanta Hawks finally get traded. He's been on the trade block since 1982. Uh, he finally got traded to the Utah Jazz. Uh, Utah only gave up Rudy Gay, I believe a draft pick. So this was a salary dump for Atlanta to make sure they don't hit that second apron. Because you're not going to convince me that Rudy Gay at this age is a quality get back for John Collins. It's not. But like what Utah is doing. Utah is building a team that's full of size, athleticism, guys who can shoot. John Collins had a bad shooting year this year, but was dealing with a finger issue all season. So I think he'll get back to being a good shooter out there, along with having you know athletic ability that he has. I think Utah made a good move there. For Atlanta, how far can you really ride Trey Young and DeJounte Murray? Do we see a move there? Do we see Trey Young moved? Because they need more than just that to go forward. Or they will be stuck being a middle child of the Eastern Conference. See what I did there with the beat switch? I hit you with the, I hit you with the, the reference of the beat? Your boy nice with it, man. <laughs> so that was our trade talk. We're going to get our first music break in. And today I am paying tribute to Bow Wow. The reason I'm paying tribute to Bow Wow, I know this isn't a music podcast, but I saw this meme. It was put up by Defiant Digital, who's doing great things over there, creating amazing content. And I imagine whoever created this little post for them is young. But the post said, if you have to play one artist for an eight-hour ride, which one would you pick? And the picture had Ice Spice, Nick Cannon, Designer, Panda, 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 that dude. Little Yachty. And who was the other guy I'm missing right now? It was Bow Wow. Bow Wow was one of them. Bow Wow, Designer, Ice Spice, Nick Cannon, uh, Blueface. Blueface and Lil Yachty. So those are the six. Ice Spice, Designer, Bow Wow, Nick Cannon, Blueface, and Lil Yachty. And the comments is like, oh, man, we're going silent for the eight hours. Or, oh, man, we're not playing nobody. And I get it's a joke. I get that. But it's so disrespectful to Bow Wow to even put him on the same post with Lil Yachty, Blueface, Ice Spice, Nick Cannon, and Designer. Bow Wow has more hits by himself than those other five combined. And I was like, yo... Am I that old? Am I that old to where people don't really remember Bow Wow being out here as that dude? Have we really been that far removed? Cause I'm I'm getting a little older, but I'm still young, 33. I'm not I'm not you know in a wheelchair yet. And I graduated high school in 08. So when I was in middle school to high school, Bow Wow was killing shit. Like from 
even elementary school. So from like 2009, from basically that decade of 2000s, Bow Wow was killing it. So for the next few episodes, I'm going to pay homage to my man Bow Wow, man, because y'all got to put some respect on his name. So we're going to take our first music break, give you some Bow Wow, and we'll be right back. We're going to talk a little boxing and then get back into the NBA. Welcome back to The Real Deal with Damian Adams. Hopefully you enjoyed that music break. Y'all gotta start playing my man Bow Wow, man. Because I can go like four episodes deep playing just Bow Wow songs. I might do it. My man got that many hits. So we're gonna pay homage to him because the disrespect has gone too far. It's gone too far. It's become blasphemous. Can't believe you guys have the unmitigated gall 
to put him on a meme with Blueface. Like what? With designer. Panda, Panda, Panda. With that dude. With Nick Cannon. Nick Cannon is hella talented, but for some reason just can't put it together on the music. But put some respect on Bow Wow's name, man. So let's get back into the sports. Say we was going to talk a little boxing, so let's get into it. Yo, Edgar Berlanga versus Jason Quickly was this past weekend. It was Berlanga's first fight on Matchroom, on The Zone, and it was supposed to be a showcase, which it was for the most part. We saw some power from Berlanga. He had times where he looked very good. But Jason Quigley, you have to remember, is moving up from 160 to go up to 168 to face a naturally bigger 168-pounder in Edgar Berlanga. And Berlanga, for all his size and strength advantage, still looked regular to me. Very, very regular. And I'm not seeing this special talent. I'm seeing someone who has some power, but I'm not seeing someone who is a future world champion. I'm not seeing that. I'm seeing more of a hype job. He's the Puerto Rican hype job. Not this Puerto Rican monster, this Puerto Rican Mike Tyson that they're portraying him as. Not seeing it. You can't cut off the ring. Still. Still bad at that. And the thing is, if you fight somebody who can match him size and strength-wise, he's going to get knocked out. Even quickly was able to catch him with some really good body shots, some good straight right hands, nice left hook that stumbled him. Like, I'm not seeing special. I'm seeing he can sell tickets. So he just happened to be born in the right place. He's Puerto Rican from New York. So, and he was able to knock out some bums so he could sell tickets and I was having a conversation on Facebook the other day after I made a video about Canelo taking on Jamal Charlo in September and I talked about how I'm kinda torn on that one because the two opponents are good Canelo versus Jamal Charlo is a good fight but I don't feel like Charlo has earned his opportunity because he's been off for two years and I understand that he's been dealing with mental health issues during that time and was gone because of it. But should have to earn the opportunity. Should have to face somebody like a Demetrius Andrade. And a couple of people were like, what'd you, why would you even bring up Andrade? He can't sell tickets. He's a good fighter. A very good fighter. That should be enough to sell tickets. Now, Demetrius Andrade was born in New Hampshire. So he doesn't have this big following of someone that's Puerto Rican born in Brooklyn, New York, like Berlanga. But he's miles better than Berlanga. Andrade, when he fought against Jason Quigley, ran through Quigley in two rounds. Through him. Broke his jaw. Berlanga, who's supposed to be this monster, this Puerto Rican Mike Tyson, supposed to be this just menace I'm gonna knock my papers down supposed to be this menace took all 12 rounds to win got four knockdowns two of the four knockdowns were very questionable 
one quickly tripped over his own feet, and the one in the twelfth uh, round, Berlanga just leaning on him, and quickly took a knee. But I'm supposed to believe that this is the guy to take down Canelo at 168, to take down Benavidez at 168, to take down Andrade, even Caleb Plant. David Morrell? I don't see it, B. But because he is selling tickets, they're probably going to try to set up Edgar Berlanga versus Jaime Mugia next. You have a Mexican power fighter versus a Puerto Rican power fighter, and that is for years upon years and generations upon generations, that has been how you sell tickets, right? That's a easy, checks all the boxes, sell tickets fight. But if they make that fight, even though I don't believe in Mangia as a championship fighter either, Mangia is easily two to three levels above Berlanga and will knock him out. So they may try to avoid it. I know that Eddie Hearn threw out his name and then Oscar De La Hoya came on social media and was like, good luck with that. Oscar De La Hoya, let your fighter be great, bro. If Munguia wants to take on Berlanga, big time fight, sell tickets, get more fans, cool. Do it in New York. I don't know if Munguia's fought there yet. Do it there, gain more fans. Easy. And Oscar De La Hoya, your reputation right now is going down the shitter, bro. So, just try to make as many big fights as you can so that people can forget about all the drama you got going on with Ryan Garcia and how Golden Boy Promotions, just the reputation of that promotion company, is going down the toilet. Um, but that's it for my boxing talk today. I'm going to go, you know, more in depth as we get further along and closer to, you know, Naui Inoue and Stephen Fulton. As we get closer to Errol Spence Jr. and Terrence Crawford. Like, so much boxing. This year has been awesome for boxing. Like, amazing. You know, it reminds you of the old times. The best taking on the best. This is what you love to see. So now let's get into a quick discussion about some of the best NBA draft classes of all time. Now, like I said earlier... Today is the 20th anniversary of the 2003 NBA Draft, or I should say Monday the 26th is, as by the time you hear this, it'll be Tuesday at least. So the 2003 Draft is up there for one of the best of all time because it's very top-heavy. You have in that draft LeBron James, of course, who's the best player of this generation, arguably the best player of all time. You have Carmelo Anthony, who's ninth all-time in scoring. Dwayne Wade, who's considered a top five shooting guard of all time. Uh, you have Chris Bosh, who was an 11-time All-Star Hall of Famer. And if his career wasn't, caught, wasn't cut short by the blood clocks, no telling how many All-Star appearances and how far Chris Bosh would have went up the ladder as far as power forwards. You also had David West in that draft class, Kyle Korver, Kurt Heinrich, who was someone who just stayed around for a very long time, very tough guard. Boris Diaw, Zaza Pachulia was in that draft class. Uh, also, Kendrick Perkins. Uh, 
at a lot of players who stuck around. I saw a stat today that 27 players, the most of any draft, played 10 plus years from that 2003 draft. And it's so crazy that it's 20 years ago. Like, yo, where did the time go? 20 years since we saw LeBron James and all that fabric. Like, imagine how much fabric that suit took to make. Because not only is the suit big, but there's a big person inside that big old suit. Like, <laughs> whoever made it, man, they should still be getting paid to this day because I know it took a long-ass time to make those suits. Just go back and look at some of the suits from the 2003 draft. You're like, what were we thinking back then? Why did we think these big old clothes and these baggy clothes were cool? It made no sense. But hey, you know, there's pictures of me in 3X tall tees and Jabot jeans too. I was part of the era. We were all there. And I wouldn't be surprised if somehow it came back because everything tends to do that. So when it comes back, I'm going to be out here in my 3X tall tee and my, my headband and my band-aid band on trying to be Nelly from back in the day. But that draft class, man, despite the bad clothes, was a great draft class. But... Is it better than 96, though? So, 96, you got Kobe Bryant, Ray Allen, Steve Nash, Allen Iverson, Peter Stoyakovich, Marcus Camby, Stefan Marbury, Sharif Abdul-Rahim, uh, Big Z's Aldrunas Elgowskis. You also have Jermaine O'Neal, Derek Fisher, and Eric Dampier in that class. 96, very deep. It's not as top heavy as 03, but it's very, very deep. And it's hard to argue against that one being the deepest draft class of all time. But then you also have to talk about 84. The 84 draft class, you got Michael Jordan, just alone makes your draft class great. John Stockton, all time leader in assists, all time leader in steals. Charles Barkley, MVP. Top 20 player all time. Hakeem Olajuwon. If you listened to the episode last week, he's my second best center of all time. And top 10 in most people's books. Otis Thorpe was also in that class. Sam Perkins. Kevin Willis, who played forever. Uh, Michael Cage. Jerome Kersey. Alvin Robertson, who, you know, defensive player. Just phenomenon on that part of the court. And people tend to talk about those three drafts. Other drafts that kind of get overlooked. 85 was a really good draft. Carl Malone, Patrick Ewan, Terry Porter, Detlef Strimp, A.C. Green, Chris Mullen, Charles Oakley, Joe Dumars, Hot Rod Williams, Tyrone Carbon in that class. So 85 deserves some, some, nice, some, some noise as well. 87, David Robinson, Reggie Miller, Scottie Pippen, Horace Grant, Kevin Johnson, Mark Jackson, Derek McKee, Muggsy Bowles. Like, 87 is pretty good, too. You know, 98 should be up there with Dirk and who else was in 98? Dirk. You had Paul Pierce, Vince Carter, Rashard Lewis, Antoine Jameson, Mike Bibby, Katino Mobley. Like, some really good draft classes, but for my money... The best of all time? It's hard to argue against 84. Because 84 gives you a little depth, like 96, but you also have the top heavy, like 03. It gives you the best of both worlds. So I'm going to go 1984, 96, 
83, 87, 85 for my top five. So, one more time, 84, 96, 03, 85, 87 for my top five. So, we're going to take our second music break. We're going to give you more Bow Wow. Don't be surprised. More Bow Wow coming up next. And after this break, we're going to count down the top 10 power forwards of all time. We'll be right back. Say, wow, 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 yippee yo, yippee yay. Where my dog? 
So let's get into my top 10 power forwards of all time. Last week I did my top 10 centers with my pops. So if you want to check out that countdown, go check out that episode. And my dad dropped some jewels on that one as far as the top 10 centers of all time. We had some disagreements, of course, two different generations, but it was dope to see where we landed and where we agreed as well. But now it's time for the power forwards. As far as time for the four man. At number 10 on my power fours list. I have Anthony Davis. Yes, Anthony Davis, the brow at number 10. One-time NBA champion, four-time All-NBA first team, eight-time All-Star, four-time All-Defense selection. His best individual season was a 2017-18 season, you know, back when he was with my Pelicans. As a one tier just falls slowly from my cheek as I think about those days. <laughs> he averaged 28 points a game, 11 rebounds, 2.6 blocks per game. Uh, for his career, 24 points per game, 10.4 rebounds on 51% shooting. Very talented individual. Super talented and has always shown that from day one pretty much. Uh, when he came to the then New Orleans Hornets and before they changed to the Pelicans. Problem with Anthony Davis is he can't stay on the court. If he could stay on the court, he would probably be, you know, maybe top six, top five. If he could stay on the court and be healthy and not be street clothes, as Charles Barkley calls him. But AD, man, you talk about the impact on both ends, what he could do. This playoffs, he was the best defensive player in the playoffs this year, along with what he does on offense. Now, of course, he ran into Nikola Jokic, but, you know, Nikola Jokic is going to continue to move up the all-time center charts as Anthony Davis stays at power forward. But it's going to be tough now because AD is playing center a lot more now and probably will continue to play that. So, will he be kind of on that Tim Duncan where you can make Tim Duncan a center, but... It's better just to make him power forward because it's easy to rank him that way. So we're just going to keep AD at power forward for all-time rankings as well. At number nine, Kevin McHale. Three-time NBA champion. Only one all-star selection. One all-NBA selection, excuse me. Uh, Seven-time all-star for his career. 17.9 points per game. 7.3 rebounds on 55% shooting. His best season was the 86-87 season, 26.1 points per game, 9.9 .9 rebounds on 60% shooting. The man of a thousand post moves, uh, someone who, if his teammate wasn't Larry Bird, one of you know the best small forwards of all time, we'll see next week where he ranks on the small forward list, but Kevin McHale, with all the moves he had, and if he didn't play through a broken foot uh, early in his career. Maybe his career is longer and he has more stats 
He also, along with all those awards, is also Sixth Man of the Year a couple times. So Kevin McHale definitely gave you the full scale of greatness during his career. So shout out to him at number nine. Number eight, Bob Pettit, one-time NBA champ, two-time MVP, 10-time All-NBA first team, 11 All-Star selections for his career, 26 points, 16 rebounds. Now, I'm not going to act like I saw Bob Pettit play. This was a very long time ago, but if you look at his stats and his accolades, you got to give respect where it's due. So I'm going to go ahead and give respect to Bob Pettit and put him on the list. And number seven, Alvin Hayes, one-time champ, six All-NBA selections, 12-time All-Star, two-time All-Defensive selection, 21 points per game. This is for his career, 12.5 rebounds on 45% shooting. Uh, when you hear O'Hare talk about Alvin Hayes, they tend to just glow. They light up when they talk about him. So it just makes me really appreciate what he did during his time. You got to give respect to the older guys too, man. So Alvin Hayes number seven. Number six. The mailman, Carl Malone. Now, some people may say that's too low. Some people, because of the way they feel about Carl Malone as the person, wouldn't have him on the list at all. But you got to separate the person from the player, all right? Two-time MVP. Now, you can argue that one of those should have been Jordan's, but two-time MVP, 11 All-NBA first-team selections, 14 All-Stars, uh, three-time All-Defensive team as well, All-Defensive first team, excuse me. His best individual season was 89-90, where he averaged 31 points a game, 11 rebounds, and shot 56% from the floor. For his career, 25 points a game, 10.1 rebounds on 51% shooting. When you look at Carl Malone's career, like, just go look up his stats on, like, basketball reference. His consistency during the regular season, year in and year out, is bananas. Now, in the playoffs, he did have some years where he came up short, but you also have to acknowledge that he was the best player on two teams that made it to the finals. And a lot of times when people try to argue against Jordan, they'll say, oh, he played against the Utah Jazz. As if the Jazz didn't have to beat the Rockets and Prime Shaq to get to the finals. Like, Utah, that pick and roll with John Stockton and Carl Malone was no joke. You don't, Carl Malone is top five all time scoring for a reason. John Stockton is number one all time by a mile in assists for a reason. Like, it worked. It was successful. And they were a team that were contenders for a very, very long time because of it. And a lot of people act like the years prior to them making the finals didn't happen. Like, Carl Malone and John Stockton, even without the championships, are probably still a top five duo all time. So you got to give Carl Malone respect, man, when it comes to that. You got to. Or you're just not being honest. So let me recap 10 through 6 real quick. At number 10, we got Anthony Davis. 9, Kevin McHale. 8, Bob Pettit. 
Seven, Alvin Hayes. Six, Carmelo. So we're going to take our last music break. You guessed it. More Bow Wow. Yep, more Bow Wow. <laughs> we're going to take that last music break and be right back to finish off our top 10 power forwards of all time. Trying to get up out the scope, man Egg cards off, I'm trying to have you saying, oh, man Walk out, come back, power like Rogaine The records say Columbia, but I'm so, so, man I stay on my grind, breaking in that dope, man From records to movies, now a TV show, man Anything, give it to me, I'm gon' rap, man Big house, big cars, what you expect, man Just to get a glimpse, girls, breaking in neck, man Blinded by the light, listening off the breath, man Now, how does that but I ain't lost no step Straight t-shirts, sneakers, I ain't tryna go prep Like these little R&B groups that need my help Wish they had my style, wish they had my rep But oh no, oh, you no. never have it like me, man If you can't understand, this is what I'm saying You ain't riding, you ain't riding Bumpin' like I'm bumpin' You ain't saying nothing, homie You ain't fresh as I'm in You ain't got it, you ain't got it You don't keep it thuggy like I keep it thuggy, little buddy You ain't fresh as I'm in You ain't big, big, Steady tip tipping, no girl kicking on me. You ain't crushes on me. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank M.I.A. to get away from the cold weather Talk around town as if I'm with Sierra Bow fall off, nigga, that'll be never I'm rich, yeah, I'm rich, I can do whatever I get a kick out of shutting suckers down in the parking lot Especially when they tryna stunt, thinking they hot All out the window talking loud like they running my block That's when I come through, come through And all that stop, stop It ain't another youngin' keep it fresh like this, man Hey, yeah, same time, come with the hits, man Make a girl fall out with a kiss, man One listening is stuck, music just like quicksand All the people say the little young dude's sick, man Yo, A-I, man, we cool thick, man The difference between me and you is you being Brickland And I ain't never, ever done that before, no You ain't riding, you ain't riding You ain't bumping like I'm bumping You ain't saying nothing, homie You ain't fresh as I'm in You ain't got it, you ain't got it You don't keep it thuggy like I keep it thuggy, little buddy You ain't fresh as I'm in 
cautious on me. You ain't big, big with me. You ain't steady, tip, tipping. No girl getting on me. You ain't crushes on me. Welcome back to The Real Deal with Damian Adams. Time to close out the show and give you my top five power forwards of all time. But before we get into our top five, let me recap 10 through 6 for you. As you can hear my paper going. Number 10 was Anthony Davis. 9, Kevin McHale. 8, Bob Pettit. 7, Alvin Hayes. And 6 was Carl Malone. At number 5. The round mound of rebound. The guy who framed the famous phrase of being a bus driver. Charles Barkley. Charles Barkley, one-time MVP, 92-93. 11 All-NBA selections. 11-time All-Star. Best season I mentioned earlier, 92-93. Average 25.6 points per game. 12.2 rebounds, 5.1 assists, and shot 52% from the floor for his career. 22.1 points per game, 11.7 rebounds on 54% shooting. And he had some seasons, man, where you look at those Philadelphia years where he was kind of by himself, put up some crazy numbers, some crazy numbers, and still was able to get that team to the second round and to push teams. By himself, but needed help, and eventually got the Phoenix, made it to the NBA Finals. And it's a big thing about Charles Barkley not winning the ring, right? It's oh, Charles Barkley shouldn't talk about champions because he's not a champion, or and all this stuff here. Charles Barkley, for a large portion of his career, didn't have good help at all, right? Got to Phoenix, got decent help, and made it to the Finals first year. And those other years in Phoenix, they were also contenders. One of the best rebounders of all time. Unstoppable on the block. In his younger years, catch the rebound coast to coast. Couldn't stop him. If you're a youngin' and you don't know Charles Barkley outside of TNT, go to YouTube. Pause the podcast. Come back to me. Go to YouTube. Pull up Charles Barkley highlights. And really watch. Cause a lot of people, man, a lot, especially young dudes, talk basketball. You could tell they didn't take the slightest amount of time to even watch a five-minute highlight video. Go check it out. Go watch a five-minute highlight video and come back to me. And if you really like want to do this, go watch a full game. Go see his impact on the game. Now, if you just want to talk, you know, mess, go watch a five-minute highlight video. But if you really want to break it down. Go watch a game. You can find him on YouTube. You can find his Game 7 against the Sonics 
on YouTube where he dropped 44 and 24. You can find those games and see just how dominant Charles Barkley was and why he can talk about being a bus driver because he was the bus driver on several contenders and the team that made the NBA Finals just happened to run to Michael Jordan. That's the funny part. You're like you're blaming the man for not winning the championship when he ran into arguably the best player of all time in the finals. Like really that's what we're holding against him? Come on, man. At number four, Giannis Anthony Cupo, the Greek freak. At number four, there's gonna be some people that say it's too soon because he's currently playing. But then you look up and realize, dude been in the league for ten years. Like this ain't no rookie we're talking about. Talking about an NBA champion, two-time MVP, seven-time, seven-time All-NBA. Like, this dude's been around for a minute now. All the All-Star appearances, a Defensive Player of the Year award, five-time All-Defensive selection. His best season was the 1920 season, 2019-2020, 29.5 points per game. 13.6 rebounds, 5.6 assists for his career, because he started off a little slow. 22.6 points per game, 9.6 rebounds, 4.7 assists, and he's still young and it's prime. He's going to climb up this list. It's crazy to think, right? Dude's nice. Like, we can't act like this isn't happening. Just because he's young. Like, people gave me a lot of flack about putting Nikola Jokic number seven on the all time center list like he's in year two. Like, we can't just hold on to the players that we grew up with and act like the players now aren't doing what they're doing. I love Charles, but I gotta acknowledge what Giannis Antetokounmpo is doing and will continue to do for the next five, six, seven years have to acknowledge it. So we got Giannis at number four. Number three, we got Dirk Nowinski. One-time champ. One-time finals MVP. One-time MVP. 12-time All-NBA selection. 14 All-Stars. His best individual year was the 06-07 season. There's, some few, there's a few seasons you can argue with there, but that's the one I picked out. 24.6 points per game. 8.9 rebounds per game. Shot 50% from the field, 41% from three, 90% from the free throw line. Come on, bro. Like, 50-40-90 is a very exclusive club. And for him to do it at his size, at that time, everybody's trying to be rough with him because they had the Europeans are soft kind of thing out there. And he knocked down those walls. For Luca, for Joker, for all the guys you see now, Dirk Nowitzki was that guy who made it be known that, yo, we not soft over here. And he was the leader of the team that maybe had the biggest upset in finals history. 2011, the Mavs take down the Miami Heat with LeBron, D-Wade, Chris Bosh. And that's led by Dirk Nowitzki. With, you know, Sean Marion and Jason Kidd, old Jason Kidd, J.J. Barea, 
D-Wade was like, man, we had no answer for J.J. Barea. Jason Terry. So, you got to give respect to Dirk, man. His offensive prowess was nasty. Nasty on the offensive end. Uh, defensively, never was great. But got to the point where he was serviceable until later in his career. Like, once he got older, he couldn't move no more. But during his prime, got serviceable. And did all right against other great power forwards during his era. So you got to give him respect for that. And number two, got Kevin Garnett. One-time champ. One-time MVP. Nine All-NBA teams. One-time Defensive Player of the Year. Nine all defensive first teams. 0304 was his best year, his MVP season. 24.2 points per game, 13.4 rebounds, 5 assists. Shot 50% from the floor for his career. And this includes some years where he got old and was, you know, not doing that much. 17.8 points per game, 10 rebounds, 3.7 assists, 1.4 blocks per game, 1.3 steals per game. One of only two players all time that's top 20 in both blocks and steals all time. The other one is Akeem Olajuwon, who's top 10 in both. Kevin Garnett, when you think about his impact on both ends of the floor, the just intensity that he played with, it's absolutely bananas. Bananas. Gotta give him all the respect in the world for what he did. So shout out to KG. Number one, you probably guessed it, Tim Duncan, five-time NBA champion, three-time finals MVP, two-time regular season MVP, ten-time All-NBA first team, eight-times All-Defensive first team, 01-02 is arguably his best year, 25.5 points per game, 12.7 rebounds, 2.3 blocks. For his career, 19 points a game, 10.8 rebounds, 2.2 blocks, shot 50% from the field. You can make an argument for him being one of the best defenders of all time. 15 times was an all-defensive member. That's nuts. That's nuts. Craziness. The fact that he never won defensive player of the year is just blasphemous. Just absolute blasphemous. He never won Defensive Player of the Year. But Tim Duncan, man, the big fundamental. You couldn't stop the little bank shot. And when he was younger, he would bang on you. Some people forget about that, Tim. Go look up his dunk on Ben Wallace. Like, he'll, he would boom it on you. But he was, more, he was known mostly for the fundamentals. Defensively, always knew exactly where to be. Always in the right spot. Those simple things made him great. So you got to give a shout out to Tim Duncan, number one. So let me give you a countdown of my top 10 to close out the show. Number 10, Anthony Davis. 9, Kevin McHale. 8, Bob Pettit. 7, Alvin Hayes. 6, Carl Malone. 5, Charles Barkley. 4, Giannis Antetokounmpo. 3, Dirk Nowinski. 2, Kevin Garnett. 1, Tim Duncan. If you stuck around, listen to the whole show, thank you so much. I definitely, definitely appreciate you. Everybody who supports in any type of way, you share it, tell your friends about it, 
everything helps, man. Everything helps. I believe I am creating good content both here and on social media. And just need your help to get it out there. You know, you never know what that share can do. You never know what telling somebody about it can do. That comment, you know, just anything helps. So I truly, truly appreciate it. Uh, make sure you follow me. If you're not following me on social media, follow me at the real deal WDA. That's the real deal. W as in whiskey, D as in Delta, A as in Alpha. Uh, make sure that you tell everybody about this podcast so that I can get to the next level of podcast alright? And until next time, go real or go home. <laughs>